0: Welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast, a place to listen and learn about the diagnosis and treatment of chronic headache and migraine pain, because information can be the best medicine. Hi, and welcome to the Headache 360 Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adam Lowenstein, and uh, as I've said many times before, uh, I'm a uh, migraine and uh, chronic headache Uh, surgeon, I do nerve decompression of uh, peripheral nerves for uh, chronic headaches and migraines. And the purpose of this podcast uh, that I call the Headache 360 podcast is to take different perspectives from different caregivers for patients who have chronic headaches and migraines. And uh, we tend to have uh, varying different experts on our podcast. And today we have the gold standard. Today we have Dr. Hussein Ansari. He is the head of the headache clinic at the University of California, San Diego. He is a very knowledgeable uh, gentleman. He's a board certified neurologist. He's a, neurologist. Uh, he's a uh, certified headache specialist and he's done um, a-, a world of training. He speaks all over the country um, on migraine and, uh, and chronic headaches. Uh, he came to California via uh, Ohio and the Mayo Clinic, and um, so, Dr. Ansari, thank you very, very much for, uh,
1: for joining me. Thank you, uh, Dr. Lovrenstein, thank you for inviting me, and uh, I'd be happy to discuss a little bit about migraine, and uh, hopefully this podcast can help uh, some of the migraine sufferers Uh, to understand better and get better care and treatment for their headache and migraine.
0: Tell us uh, real quick a little bit more about yourself. Uh,
1: Sure, actually you you summarized very well. Yes, I'm a neurologist, (laughs) uh, board certified neurologist and uh, did my uh, residency in neurology in West Virginia University. And uh, I did chief residency also there. Then I went to Mayo Clinic to do extra training for headache and facial pain and uh, I did my fellowship there, then I actually uh, opened up the headache center in Ohio, Akron, Ohio, and uh, was there as a director for the headache center for over four years, and uh, then for last four and a half years I joined University of California in San Diego as a director of the headache clinic, and I am basically running the headache center here and also facial pain center. So I have two niche. Basically one is headache and uh, one is the facial pain and uh, working on both, uh, for the last four and a half years here and trying to help the people with migraine and uh, facial pain here in California.
0: And, um, I should say uh, the, the way that we first met, um, I think, uh, you worked, <coughs> excuse me, with Dr. Giron in, in Ohio and, um, as, as, Many of you should know, Dr. Gyron is the uh, pioneer who discovered that uh, chronic headaches and migraines could be successfully treated without patient uh, surgery. And uh, I can, I, I've i known Dr. Gyron for many, many years, and I would argue he's one of the best plastic surgeons in, in history and uh, and a true innovator. And he, he's done some wonderful things and really, really enabled us to help um Migraine sufferers tremendously, and um, so, uh, Doctor, Ansari, I guess you were you were speaking at one of his seminars, and uh, I certainly was very impressed. And I'm I'm really pleased that we can share some of your expertise with the rest of the world.
1: Sure. Yeah, actually, yeah, I know Doctor Gayran even before. Uh, I went to Ohio. I know him I know him before that. I Even during my residency I, I attend his seminars and become interested in this procedure and for last 7-8 uh, years I'm actively working for, with the Plastic Surgery Society and uh, you, as you know they have annual meeting and this year will be in San Diego and we will be having another session and cadaver lab and we did these courses all over the world. Actually, a few months ago, we went to Taiwan. Oh, <laughs> really? My, yes, migraine surgery course. Actually, me and Dr. Totunchi actually went, and Dr. Amir Lack, Dr. Guy Round wasn't yeah. able to make it. And yes, we were there. And uh, over there, actually, the, the surgeons doing this for a few years with very good success. So oh, that's great. Yeah, it's all over the world. And actually, we are going to probably Turkey uh, at the end of this year for another international course in this session.
0: Let me just ask you, in, in your opinion, if somebody's got headaches, at what point do you think that they should start to consider seeing a neurologist? So
1: uh, it's a very good question. So patients when they have the headache, of course, first uh, thing that I need to basically clarify with your audience is difference between headache and migraine. Uh, Because in general population or even in some uh, basically uh, medical facilities, I see they use the terminology headache and migraine interchangeably. While we know migraine and headache is not the same, not all of the headache are migraine. And also not all of the migraine has headache. That's very interesting. Migraine is a complex neurological disorder. And uh, the typical migraine uh, disease had four phases uh, one is we call the premonitory phases or prodromal phases which happened and start before headache and during that cycle people become tired uh, fatigued. they yawn a lot they crave in different food they become moody and then about 25 30 percent of the patient also gets aura uh, of the migraine aura is a transient neurological symptom which when they happen first time in the migraine patient could be very scary because it's very uh, much like stroke and a lot of people go to the emergency with the possibility of a stroke. Uh, about 25, 30% of the patient had that phase. Then we have the headache phase of the migraine which most of the people knows the migraine just with that phase, while that's just one of the four phase of the migraine. And then we have uh, basically, fourth phase of the migraine, which we call uh, uh, resolution phase or poststorm phase, after migraine headache finishes. Sometimes people feel tired. We call they call actually or feel washed out, and that's another phase of the migraine. So that's why migraine and headache is not the same. So when the people had headache, if the if the headache has some of the migraine feature. So what is the most important feature or most a uh, classic feature of migraine is throbbing quality, pulsating quality. Huh. And usually it start in one side. And patient either had nausea and or vomiting, or they have light and noise sensitivity. Either or, so it doesn't need to have all three. Either nausea and vomiting, or light and noise sensitivity. If patient had throbbing, severe headache with one of those two features, that very likely migraine. Not 100%, but very likely migraine okay so then if the patient get those kind of headache more than one a week that means four times per month that patient need to seek medical attention with either primary care physician or uh, by neurologist or a headache specialist but the problem with headache specialists of course not all of the uh, migraine patient can see the headache specialist and the reason is very clear actually in 2018 I give you this some statistic in 2018 in US we had about 500 certified headache specialists which actually some of them is not even maybe practicing now and Uh we have 39 million migraineurs yeah Uh, so 500 for 39 million so of course I mean (laughs) very small percentage can go to the headache specialist but the good thing with all of the effort that American Headache Society and uh, Migraine Foundation uh, put in the community, a lot of neurologists and even a lot of primary care physicians are not familiar with this, and they can help the patient at the beginning. So if the patient with migraine get one or more per week, the recommendation will be seek uh, medical attention. So, So one, so one a week for four weeks
0: or or more than that and and so um what i i i'm I'm fresh off of a a clinical day and so i just saw a, a patient who's only seen their primary care physician they have not seen a neurologist and then their primary care physician treated them with multiple medications that they, they didn't tolerate, which is how they ended up in my office. Um, should I be insisting that they also see a neurologist? Or do you think that the level of, of primary care training at this point um, can,
1: can be adequate in some fashion? Uh, yes, that's again, depend on who is the primary care physician. And actually, one thing that uh, might be interesting for your audience that no, not all of the headache specialists are neurologists. Okay. And uh, so, actually so where we else? Have we have, yeah, we have a lot of uh, non-neurologists who are headache specialists. And in fact, the current president of International Headache Society, uh, Professor Ed Vinson from Sweden, he's not even a neurologist. He's an huh. internist. But he's the president of International Headache Society, the biggest headache <laughs> society in the world. So uh, that's why not all of the headache doctors and neurologists and not all of the neurologists would like to see the headache patient or interested right, yeah, in headache that patients. That that so that is the problem. So it depends on who and where they live. And uh, for example, I'm in California in Orange County. We have a very good family physician who is a headache specialist. So she's, and so she's d- better than a neurologist to see him because she's headache. So uh, again, depending on the location, who is interested and who t- have some uh, education and training on headache, will be the best person for the patient to see.
0: So you can go to do a a headache fellowship, uh, a a true headache fellowship, uh, as an internal medicine doctor?
1: As internal medicine, as anesthesiologist, as psychiatrist, for example, the psychiatrist, and the, the, the head of the Cleveland Clinic Headache Center now, he's a psychiatrist, but he's a headache specialist and he's the, the, in the Cleveland Clinic, which is one of the biggest headache centers. Uh, so that's exactly that happened. Anesthesiologist, internist, family medicine, or psychiatrist, they can go and do the headache uh, training. How Got it? it,
0: okay. So, all right, so we have the differences between headaches and the four phases uh, of a migraine. And certainly, if, if somebody is having a migraine and they're having four migraines a month, um, you recommend them and seeing somebody, what if they are not having migraines but they are still having chronic headaches? Uh, one of my patients today has headache, head pain all of the time, um, and she also actually has migraines and she can separate the symptoms. But um, at, at what point should should a non-migraine patient who is concerned about their headaches start seeing somebody? Okay
1: yes uh, that's actually uh, the patient that you're mentioning probably what we call have chronic daily headache so chronic daily headache is uh, not a diagnosis is a a definition is a terminology that we use for the people that have almost daily headache and most of these people actually they have a migraine but since their migraine has not been treated or could not be treated for whatever reason either headache was intractable or patient didn't see the correct provider, they transformed the chronic daily headache. That means patient has daily headache, but for example eight days, nine days they have full-blown migraine, but other days they have a mild headache, dull headache. And the other thing that's very common in the patient who had a chronic daily headache, they also have uh, medication overuse headache and that is the, one of the biggest issue in the community, the medication overuse headache. And can and I ask, the, is, is, that a, is that an actual diagnosis? Yes, that is actually ICH, uh, the International Headache Classification. We have actually, this one thing that maybe your audience is interested, International Headache Society, ICHD, had uh, the classification for the headache that's online on the PDF form available for everybody. And all different kind of headache has been uh, documented there. And it's very easy to use. Even if you're not physician, it will be easy to use. That's called ICHD3. If you Google online, everybody can access. Great. And medication overuse headache in section eight in that classification is medication overuse headache. So medication overuse headache to basically clear for your audience, what does that mean? It means if patient with headache take as needed medication more than certain days per month, and that certain days per month for each class of the medication is different. Let's talk about, for example, Excedrin. Excedrin migraine, which is one of the medication that's extremely overused in the community because uh, when you go to the Costco, I always go and watch those people who bought this Excedrin 500 <laughs> in one box and it's just bucket of Excedrin, and of course they're using that. And so that is the big problem. If you use more than five to eight days per month of Excedrin, you will develop medication overuse headache. That means your headache will get worse. Wow. So, But it's happened all the time, and uh, in the Excedrin box they never wrote this, that you cannot use this medication certain more than certain days per month. Right. Uh, but if you go to the literature, it always say you cannot take it, anything. Uh, the other big issue with the medication overuse is the uh, narcotic uh, opioid medication, Norco, yeah. Tramadol, that's a b- huge problem. And the other big problem, particularly in California, for whatever reason, is the medication called FioriCet, which has butalbital in it, and a uh, very overly used for reason that, uh, (laughs) I don't know, actually, FioriCet is a medication that in all of the world is abundant. It's out of the market, the only place they still have FioriCet in the United States. And uh, that is the medication that very quickly causes rebound, and it's not even approved for migraine, but uh, a lot of... uh, physician prescribe it for migraine Uh, so this these are the people that usually develop medication overuse headache so they have migraine then develop medication overuse headache combination of migraine and medication overuse uh, proceed to uh, chronic daily headache so probably your patient had something similar to that most of the patient that we see with daily headache or chronic daily headache they have underlying migraine and then migraine changed to chronic daily headache and most of the time, the reason is medication overuse headache. And going back to your question, when the patient with non migraine so uh, we don't have any basically guidelines say, oh, this is the patient needs to see. This is basically common sense. If the patient with headache had enough headache that affect their daily activity. So one of the things that we use in all of the headache center uh, all over the world, we use the tool, the measurement tool Uh, for the impact of the migraine in the patient's uh, life. There's a different measurement tool available. For example, one of them calls MIDAS, one of them called HIT-6, Headache Impact Test 6, which I use that one in my clinic. So in that, we can measure with numbers the effect of the headache in the patient's activity or daily life. And if this number is higher than certain, that patient definitely needs to be seen by physician. So, this is the common sense. If patient with headache had too many headache that affect their life, even if they don't take too much medication, they need to see somebody because they, they basically, affecting their daily activity and life.
0: Certainly, and, and we use Midas test um, ourselves. But the, um, you know, I'm not I'm not sure that uh, generally people have uh, have access to those. The. Uh, you know, I, uh, we talked a little bit uh, offline before about that we're, we're going to try and do this only for about 40, 45 minutes. I kind of feel like I got six hours of questions about just diagnoses because I have seen patients who come to see me and they have, you know, five different diagnoses from the same neurologist. And so um, it, it, it's interesting to me that you were talking about saying one um one diagnosis can evolve in into another does that happen happen often
1: yes very often actually
0: but you're also seeing i mean you're a tertiary care you know yes. you're you're the mm-hmm. end of the line from a medical standpoint i would imagine that people who see you are are being referred because they are not having success with um, mm, i don't want to say yes lesser yes and no doctors, because i get
1: the, i also see the uh, kind of first or second hand patient who actually refer from UCSD primary care or uh, internal medicine family. So those are the patients that didn't see anybody. I basically see them, oh, okay. uh, but but I see them as a first hand or second hand. But when I see them, okay, what are you doing? I'm using Excedrin for 20 years every day. <laughs> so, Got it.
0: And so, yeah. um, okay, well, I, yeah, I could talk to you about what to do with that kind of patient, but let me ask you another question that I frequently get asked.
1: Um, The term (coughs) cervic, excuse
0: me, cervicogenic headache.
1: Cervicogenic headache, yes, is a separate diagnosis. Again, in both in ICHD3 and also in ICD-10, we have the separate code for that and separate diagnosis. This is actual diagnosis. Those are the people that their headache started from the back of the head, might have some migraines feature and most of these people had history of whiplash injury. That's a separate diagnosis. And, uh, but what also we have other diagnoses in ICHD3 we call cervicogenic migraine. So we need to differentiate between cervicogenic headache and cervicogenic migraine because treatment is totally different. Interesting. And the cervicogenic migraine is more common than cervicogenic headache. Cervicogenic headache is not very common, although it's maybe overly diagnosed or also underdiagnosed. A lot of time I see the patient, they actually have cervicogenic headache, but they're diagnosed with migraine, and I see the other way. So these are two headaches that mimic each other. It's not very easy. They really need a good detailed history and exam to differentiate between cervicogenic migraine and cervicogenic headache. But cervicogenic migraine is by far is much more common than cervicogenic headache. If we look at the migraine patients, about 70% of the migraine patient had uh, what we call occipital trigger, which that's part that we probably talk more in the surgery part. But about 70% had that occipital trigger. And that means their headache started from occipital or neck area or radiates to that area. And those patients can be mistaken with cervicogenic headache. So this is two separate c- category, but uh, they have some overlap and uh, sometimes the diagnosis is not easy. It needs it's a very good history exam and also nerve block or facet injection that we do to differentiate between the cervicogenic headache and cervicogenic migraine.
0: And then um, differentiating both of those from occipital neuralgia, can you make some comments on again, yes. that?
1: Yes, occipital neuralgia also is the diagnosis that's this one is certainly over over diagnosed. Most of the time in the if you see in the neurologist note, or in the pain doctor note, when they put occipital neurology, the main reason because they want to get the nerve block, and it's much, much easier to put that as a diagnostic code to get approval from insurance. <laughs> so that that is one of the reasons. And I don't blame yeah. them because you don't want to you know fight with the insurance, and say, oh, this patient had migraine, and I want to do occipital nerve block. Insurance a lot of time does not cover that because say that's experimental. But if you put occipital neurologia, they will cover it. So that that is one of the reasons that's overly documented, at least. But on top of that, also overly diagnosed. And why? Because when we talk about the neurologia in general, neurologia means paroxysmal pain. That means sudden onset, sudden termination. Last few seconds up to two minutes. And uh, it feels like jabbing, jolting, electric shock pain. That is neurologia. So if patient had the pain in the back of the head, which occipital and had that quality, jabbing, jolting, split second, start with maximum intensity and finish abruptly very quick. If patient had pain in occipital area uh, with that quality, that patient we can label as occipital neurologia, And it's not uncommon in the patient with migraine that also feel they have the migraine headache in the occipital and on top of their migraine headache, sometimes they feel the, that jab and jolt. That, that can happen in the migraine patient. But occipital neuralgia as a purely and primary diagnosis is not very common. It's a rare condition, usually seen in elderly who had a lot of arthritis in the cervical spine area, or a lot of time they have this rheumatologic disease or rheumatoid arthritis or something. For In those people, uh, I see a lot of occipital neuralgia as a pure diagnosis without migraine.
0: Okay, and so all of these things are are, are separate but can coexist. It sounds right. It yes. sounds like mm-hmm. right. Yes, yes. Um, and then, uh, and we're we're now just talking about this general subset of of diagnoses, which I'm just very interested in because that's a large part of my practice. Um, but you can have occipital triggers for any of these diagnoses.
1: Uh, for which one? The, for the occipital neuralgia c- and cervicogenic headache?
0: Correct. And cervicogenic
1: c- migraine. Cervico- cervicogenic migraine, yes, that they have occipital trigger. That's why they they feel the pain in the occipital area. Uh, but cervicogenic headache and occipital neuralgia are not, or separate category, and the treatment of those two is basically facet injection or occipital nerve block. So we for cervicogenic headache, diagnosis made by blocking anesthetic, anesthetic local anesthetic block of the yep. facet, mainly C2, C3 area. And for occipital neurology is diagnosis based on uh, blocking of the occipital nerve, either lesser or greater occipital.
0: I have seen and successfully operated on patients with all of these diagnoses. Um, and it seems that while some of them may be under or over diagnosed, from a non, um, from somebody who's not as uh, specifically trained as you are, it seems that there's a lot of ambiguity between all of
1: these different diagnoses. Yes, in fact there is because sometimes, as I mentioned, could be overlap. Cervicogenic migraine and cervicogenic headache sometimes has very similar feature, just with a good and detailed history, we can differentiate it. Occipital neurology also can be seen in migraine a lot the patient had migraine with occipital trigger and on top of that they feel that jabbing jolting and the reason that you had a success because the patient that you operated probably was migraine patients with occipital trigger and sometimes they had occipital neuralgia, either real occipital neuralgia or just documented in the chart because of uh, basically insurance purpose for nerve block and that's probably why you were successful because the the most common if you if you see 10 patients with occipital pain and headache and things at least nine of them will be migraine maybe one of them will be cervicogenic <laughs> headache or pure occipital neuralgia, even less than one. I, I, I don't have any statistic, but that's why. In, statistically, when you operate in those patients, you're operating in migraine patients, most likely.
0: Right. Okay. So and it is, it, it, because people come to see me and, and um, I'm sure uh, my peers as well. And it's it is kind of rare that people get to our office and don't have successful blocks. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think you're right. I think most of them, um, have the diagnosis that is favorable for that, but okay. So let's, so we got lots of different diagnoses for, for obviously for head pain and we have, we haven't even gotten into the whole world of, of facial, uh, pain. Uh, but let's just say if somebody comes to you with um, with migraine symptoms and they're qualifying with uh, the four phases of migraine, et cetera, and they're having this more than four times a month. So what What are the first steps of, of your kind of diagnostic regime? What, you, what are you going to do?
1: Okay. Yes. Uh, before we talk about that, the four phases that not necessarily happen in all of the migraine patient. Some migraine patients really, really have those the headache phase as a prominent phase, and none of the other three phases. But most of the patient had prodromal and postrome and again, 25-30% of the patient also have aura. In term of the patient diagnosis, one thing that is very important, migraine is purely clinical diagnosis. There is no blood test. There is no imaging that we need to do to uh, basically uh, diagnose the migraine. So it's all history and a headache history and exam for a f- new patient, at least take 45 minutes. Yeah. It's no way sooner than that. It's uh, actually af- after these many years doing headache, I still, my new patient appointment t- is, uh, time is 60 minutes. I, yeah. There's no way I can diagnose sooner than that because you have to ask a lot of questions. Patient needs to fill out the questionnaire. And so based on that history and exam that I do in the first session, With 99.9% basically confidence, you can diagnose the migraine. Really, we don't need any tests. We don't have actually any tests because sometimes I see the patient that come and see me, say, yeah, we saw a neurologist, and they told we are going to do MRI to diagnose your migraine. So we don't have such a thing. MRI is not diagnostic for migraine, and uh, neither any other tests. We don't have How many of your
0: patients come in insisting on some kind of imaging?
1: A lot. That is another issue. That's another big issue. Actually, we have, and uh, we can't talk about just this for five yeah, hours. There's so <laughs> much to talk to, talk about. And so you know. But uh, one thing about the imaging. Yes, we don't have any imaging to diagnose, and we do not need imaging for uh, basically diagnosis. no some... imaging
0: can be problematic sometimes, right? Exactly. You can find that, things that,
1: that... Actually, that's my point. Actually and because sometimes you know so we argue with some of our colleagues and say oh i'm ordering mri for all of the patients. what's what's the problem why i mean you know patient become more uh, basically the you know they nobody with the patient patient become more confident and uh, i'm reassured blah blah but actually in fact in real world is not that actually that's sometimes exactly opposite patient get mri and you see the things that you don't need to see <laughs> You know? oh, right. yeah. And that, that caused a lot of problem. And this problem is a real problem. And one problem, yes, patient get some MRI or imaging, and now we have this three Tesla imaging, which basically picked any small detail in the brain yeah. and it is cavernoma. That is very, you know, the finding that a lot of people had. And with one and a half Tesla, sometimes we were not able to get it, but with 3 Tesla, we get all of those small cavernoma. Higher resolution. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's very detailed. And then patient become worry. Some of the patient is really worried about that. And some of this imaging actually, if you show the p- patients, for example, there is one of the incidental finding that we see a lot in the MRI of the brain is the arachnoid cyst, is the big cyst in the brain which looks yep. really ugly. Yep. And if you show that one to the patient, I mean, if I, if I, I'm a physician, if I see my brain that this, I cannot sleep at night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> of course, sure. That, yeah. It's that's a scary that's thing, thing, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: It's scary. But it's benign. It's a congenital thing. Patient born with that. And then no matter how much you reassure the patient, some worry patient go to the wrong direction. I yeah. cannot tell how many patients I had that had operation on the brain for this incident alone. Oh my loma. gosh. Yeah wow. we call we call incidentaloma. Yeah. And <laughs> so and uh, yeah they have the brain surgery and that is not good to open somebody's brain for no reason. That's why getting the imaging is not always reassuring and good. Plus, you know, forget about the financial thing that put in the community sure, sure. and blah blah, but even for the patient reassurance safety uh, it's not a good thing. If the diagnosis by history make the diagnosis of migraine, we don't need anything. And in fact, if you look at International Headache Society classification, it doesn't say that you need to get any test to diagnose the migraine, just pure clinical diagnosis.
0: All right, so you know what, I've seen yet another problematic situation where you have patients who are frantic because they have a completely normal MRI. And so, you know, they've got they, they have a migraine, they have chronic migraines, and they're just, they're so intent on finding a reason that when mm-hmm. their MRI does not show some horrific tumor, they're even more distraught because they, they, they're just so desperate to find, you know, to find something to show for it
1: yes exactly and they and the other thing with the imaging sometimes they find this incidental for example meningioma cavernoma and then uh, the radiologist has a generic basically uh, dot phrase in the note and say you know follow up mri uh, indicated so i see sometimes the patient that they are having mri 15 years, every year, MRI for the same finding oh, because wow. they say you have to repeat it and this <laughs> they just repeat it. They just repeat yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's happened. And uh, yeah, one thing about uh, your question and your uh, basically uh, previous question or previous sentence about this uh, patient at, uh, basically insisting to find the reason. Uh, one thing that sometimes I joke, there is a quote from one of the uh, famous headache specialists, Dr. Godsby from UK. And he say, uh, when patient asked me why I have this headache or migraine, he say, I, I told the patient because you picked wrong parents. So <laughs> yeah. migraine, migraine yeah. is a genetic disorder. So right. why you have it? Because you have the gene. That's the simplest answer.
0: You know, it's interesting. When you, again, I'm, I'm afraid that we're going to trail off into, it'll be late, late at night, 2 o'clock in the morning, and we'll still be talking. <laughs> but um, so I've got... Um, I had a patient like that last week, and it seems to me, and I'm interested in in your perspective here, that just like you know, some people have big noses, and some people are six foot two, and you know, everything you know, your everything is genetic. But when I've seen patients who have these genetic predispositions, a lot of those times I see anatomic um, reasons for their at least for their triggers. So this this young man I operated on last week, and this may be a little more technical for some of our listeners that we haven't reviewed this kind of thing, but um, he he had a, a superorbital foramen that was almost an inch and a half long. And so he had this long, long compressive tunnel for his, for his superorbital nerve that was causing compression of, of that nerve. And I'm thinking, well, you know, that is just like, the shape of his nose. Many of his siblings, or many of his family, might have that same kind of. Um, it's not even a deformity. It's just a, a normal variant, but it's an unfortunate normal variant that can cause cause pain in, in those nerves and subsequently migraines. Do you do you have an opinion about that? I mean, uh, yes. Uh,
1: Actually, this is very interesting uh, question because it's one of the. Uh, biggest debate that we have with our ENT colleagues. Uh, so people with migraine, uh, so in general population, we have a lot of people had anatomic variant of what? the Septal deviation or constable right. loza, which again sure. is a medical term, or contact point and a lot of other stuff. So if patient with constable loza or severe septal deviation contact point does not have migraine gene, all that anatomic variant can cause for the patient could be some breathing problem. Right, right? yeah. But if that patient had migraine gene, that the same anatomic variant can cause migraine because this is a migraine patient have the sensitive brain, sensitive nerve, and that anatomic variant can trigger, play as a trigger point for the patient with migraine. And again this is a big debate because a lot of time when we talk or document in our note ENT colleagues say no no this is nothing to do with your headache so that that is a big challenge but there's exactly your point people with migraine or migraine gene they have predisposition to uh, basically uh, have any normal anatomic variant can play as a trigger and Another uh, basically good example for this predisposition will be uh, the people who they never had migraine and their migraine started after slight trauma to the head. I cannot tell how many patients I have, female, you know, house five female come and say oh I never had headache, I hit my head in the cabinet in the kitchen and I got headache after that. So guess what, patient had migraine predisposition, gene of the migraine was silent Then with the trivial trauma that activated and patients start their migraine. And then that they think that is the trauma or something is causing for the migraine. In fact, it's not. It's just triggering point for the migraine. So your question is exactly true. Anatomic variant in the patient with migraine can play as a trigger point. Certain for one uh, uh, certain type of migraine, which we called hemiplegic migraine, Uh, We have the gene, there's a three gene identified, the chromosome and gene identified. But that is for hemiplegic migraine. But for other migraine also, the genetic library is, there is a two big center that's running. One of them is Mayo Clinic in Rochester, which has trained and my former program director. And he has probably the biggest migraine genomic library. And they're looking at the gene of the migraine and they identify and they're working on that, This, if this publish, which will be hopefully in the next 10 years, will be huge in the migraine That would be world.
0: huge, huge. But there's yes. no current, like we we have tests for breast cancer that we would run on somebody who might be susceptible to breast cancer. We don't have a blood test to send that would be diagnostic for migraine. No, just just standpoint. for,
1: for, for hemiplegic migraine, for hemiplegia we do hemiplegia have, migraine. and we send often. Uh, because that's a very disabling type of a migraine patients right. become completely yeah. plegic actually and uh, for an hour or so so for that we have the test uh, commercial test for the other type not commercial but there is actually there's i mean there's multiple type of the gene identify for migraine and that's why Different people with migraine had a different type of the headache, different symptom. Why some of the people get severe light noise sensitivity, some does not. Some people get severe nausea, vomiting, some does not. So because of different gene.
0: I, um, I, I'm, I'm really hoping to have you back on uh, another, if not several more episodes, but I'd love to talk about uh, drug therapy with you. I'd love to talk. I mean, we can talk about narcotics alone for for several hours We can
1: talk about the facial pain and sinus headache Which is another big issue that I yeah. see in my clinic and we definitely can educate your audience about the term sinus headache more <laughs> That's that's fantastic. Well,
0: so um, at this point I'm gonna say thank you very much and uh, to my to my listeners. I will say I um, kind of pause. We'll think of this as a pause and we'll definitely got, get uh, Dr. Ansari uh, to talk about uh, several other things in the future. But uh, for now, um, thank you so, so much uh, for, for spending the time uh, with us. And uh, I, I really do appreciate it and I hope we can do this again.
1: Thank you, yes, yeah, certainly we will do it.
0: <laughs> hey everybody, this is Dr. Lowenstein once again and I have two last things to ask you. Firstly, the thing that you can do for fellow headache sufferers is to please remember to subscribe and to rate our podcast. The more ratings and subscriptions that we get, the more visibility that we get, and um, the more listeners they'll be able to find us, the more help and information we can provide to the huge population of people who suffer from headache pain. Secondly, please remember that the treatment of headaches of all types is very individualized. The purpose of this podcast is not to give medical advice, so please use the information here on this podcast and elsewhere that you hear on the internet to broaden your knowledge, but consult with your physician before acting on any information that you hear on podcasts or YouTube or anywhere on the internet. Uh, I, as a physician, don't necessarily endorse the opinions or practices of my guests. And if you have particular questions that you would like to consult with me directly about, please call our headache surgery center. Our number is 805-969-9004 or email us at info at headachesurgery.com, and my staff will set up a consultation to discuss your specific case. Thanks and best wishes from all of us here at Podcast
1: 360.